Amen. I just, Jesus is alive. Amen. Let's lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, and your love towards us today. We pray, Father, that our hearts would be good ground and that your word, God, would bring forth transformation in and through us. Bless the pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Slough. So, um, did anybody besides me enjoy last Sunday? Um, last Sunday was our baptism Sunday. It was amazing. Uh, we baptized 12 people here, and I think about six of them planned to get baptized before they came, and about six of them said during the sermon, I think I'm going to get baptized today. Um, so, I, I, I see that as... Uh, not only what God is doing currently right here, right now in our congregation, but I see that also as a foretaste of a, uh, an indicator of what God wants to do among us in our congregation in the months and weeks and years going forward. And that to me is exciting. If we can be a place, and we are, but continue to expand as a place where people are finding God, where they're joining the family of God, where they're giving their heart, soul, mind, and body to Jesus Christ. He's transforming their lives. Their old life is being buried, crucified and buried with him, and their new life is being resurrected. That thrills me. Um, and I, I, I have to tell you, there was a really great, you guys remember if you were here last week, we baptized uh, Christine Pack. And, and Christine is from the Philippines. And I told that story how she was in the Philippines. Yeah, you can, you can clap for Christine. Um, Christine, or was that for the Philippines? Either way, it's totally, it's all good. Um, so, so Christine, uh, you know, I, I was saying that she was from the Philippines and that she had Googled churches in St. Louis because she was going to be moving to St. Louis. And she found you City Family Church. And she read everything and she listened to the sermons. And so she came here uh, when she moved here from the Philippines she decided to become a member of our church, which was awesome. Uh, and then after church, one of the little girls in our church, Hannah Inazu, was out with her parents, and they were talking about the baptism service. And she said, you know what? I can't believe that girl came out from the Philistines to get baptized here at U City Family Church. And then there was a discussion about could she have been involved in the death of, you know, uh, Goliath, or was there any involvement there? Um, it's fantastic. So yes, we will baptize Philistines. We'll baptize anyone here at U City Family Church. All right, we're going to launch into um, the book of Acts. And what I love about the book of Acts, I I love stories. I love hearing stories. I love telling stories. The book of Acts is this intriguing historical narrative about how the church exploded from a small handful of people into this massive global movement within, within like 30 years. Um, And so in the story itself, in the book of Acts, there's intrigue, there's near-death experiences, there's jailbreaks, there's snake bites, shipwrecks, mass conversions, impromptu baptisms, fights, bribes, murder plots, riots, persecutions, all of that in this book. And the exciting part is that you and I are invited to participate in that story. The book of Acts is still going on. Um, We are still being moved by the Holy Spirit to, to transform our world, our world um, and bring people to the, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So as we go through this series, I want us to think about it not just in a reflective mindset as some sort of interesting, distant Christian anomaly historically. 
I want us to read the book of Acts in an interactive way, thinking about how God is moving here today in St. Louis, in U City, in Missouri, in our hearts to transform people's lives. Because I believe honestly and sincerely that God has called us to engage minds, encourage hearts, and empower hands with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only way we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do that on our own. It will not happen. Um, so we will, we will read the book interactively. We're going to get into all of this exciting stuff, all of this fascinating stuff. But before we do that, this is our first week in the series. So we've got to do a little bit of groundwork. I've got to do a little bit of heavy lifting today. So I'm going to need your help. All right. I'm going to need you to hang with me as we lay the groundwork for what, you know, this whole series is going to be about. Um, and so I've asked our our welcome team uh, to come forward with pins. Does anybody because I'd love for you to take notes and just get involved. You can lean forward. You can look at me. If you get tired, you can run out and get a cup of coffee. If your neighbor do, dozes off. Yeah. Come on up to the front. Um, welcome team. Come on up to the front so you can see uh, everybody back there. Um, raise your hand if you need a pin. And, uh, and then you guys can just get engaged, and we'll, we'll do this. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to answer three questions. Come on up to the front. Um, I'm going to answer three questions uh, during this sermon is what I'm going to attempt to do. Number one, what is the book of Acts? So if we're going to be exploring it for the next six or seven weeks, we need to know what it is. All right, so I'm gonna, what's the genre? What's it all about? Who wrote it? All that kind of stuff. The second question I'm going to answer is what or who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the lead character in the book of Acts. And so we need to get an idea about who or what the Holy Spirit is. Um, Some of you may have a view of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the little feeling that, you know, tingles your back when we go up to that next octave. Or when we, you know, stop the song and then we just do it a cappella, and you go, oh, man, that was good, man. That was, whoo, I felt the Holy Spirit. Um, The Holy Spirit can move on us during worship times, but the Holy Spirit is much more than an emotion or a feeling or anything like that. The Holy Spirit is is, is huge. Um, And then the third question I want to answer is, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with me? Because that's really what we want to know, Right. What, how does any of this matter to me? And so what I'm going to lay out for you today, and then we're going to explore it over the next several weeks, is the power the Holy Spirit brings into your life, the purpose that God gives you to use that power, and the plan that he lays out for you in order to fulfill your purpose with his power. And I couldn't think of any other P words, so we're just going to stop at that. Um, Now, turn to your neighbor and say, I've got the power. Right. Okay. I wanted to hear if somebody was going to, there it is. I wanted to see if somebody was going to do the snap version from the nineties. Um, okay. Let's jump into this straight away. What is the book of Acts? Quick thumbnail explanation of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a sequel. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The gospel of Luke was written by a guy named Luke. Luke also wrote Acts and they were originally both together. Okay, uh, when, when he wrote, they wrote on these papyrus scrolls. They were about 30 or 35 feet long. And so he was writing Luke that chronicled the story of Jesus up to the point of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And then right on the heels of that, Luke wrote 
Acts. And so they used to be called Luke Acts because they were together. But, but eventually over time, the, um, you know, all the gospels would get put into one corner of the church and then the other scriptures would be put in other corners. And so now Acts is separate from Luke's, Luke, but it's really, it's really a sequel. It's really volume two. Okay. But it's a good sequel, you know, not like, um, bad sequels. Uh, it's more like, it's more like Godfather two was a good sequel or Twin Towers, Lord of the Rings, good sequel, right? There are some bad sequels. We won't get into those. Um, Matrix Reloaded was a bad sequel. Date of the writing was probably early 60s, not 1960s, 60s, 60s, 060s. Um, And the reason that scholars, a a lot of scholars think this, and we don't know for sure, but it doesn't chronicle the death of Paul. So it chronicles the death of all these other martyrs, all these other apostles, and it doesn't chronicle the death of Paul. So it probably leaves off. It probably would have if it were written after the death of Paul, uh, but it doesn't. And so it's probably written around 62 A.D., right in that area. Okay, so that would have been about 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Um, And there's a controversy when people study the book of Acts. There's a controversy within... Christianity, okay? And the controversy really comes down to this. Is the book of Acts descriptive or is it prescriptive? And I'm going to just lay this out for you real quick. Descriptive means, is it just describing what happened at a certain time in history and that's how we're to read it, just as strictly descriptive and that's what it is. It just describes things. Or is it prescriptive in that it is prescribing uh, and it's a prescription for what we should do as a church. And so people will get, you know, theologians will argue back and forth on this. And some people will say it's strictly descriptive, and some others will say it's very prescriptive, and we should do everything like they did in the book of Acts. Well, my, I'll put my cards on the table. I think there's a little bit of both in there. And I think that we, we have to very carefully look at the passages to determine whether or not God is prescribing something for us or whether or not God is just describing something that happened in that time. For instance... In the first chapter of Acts, you remember Judas betrayed Jesus and then he, and then he uh, killed himself. And so there, was only, there were only 11 apostles. So they needed a 12th apostle. And so they were trying to figure out how do we choose a 12th apostle, 12th apostle. And it came down to two guys. And the scripture in Acts chapter 1 says they drew lots, which is essentially like rolling the dice, you know. And so that's how they ended up figuring out the 12th, uh, you know, apostle. Well, we don't do that today. We don't believe that the, the Bible prescribes that if we're going to have a life group leader, I get the Yahtzee game out of the closet, grab the dice. Do they have dice in Yahtzee? They do, right? And, 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 and roll the dice and say, okay, you know, this will be our life group. We don't do that. So there's some description and there's some prescription, and we're going to try to work through that humbly as we can as we go through the scripture. Okay. That was, that was like years of theological debate in like 30 seconds. Um, I'm going to read you the opening lines of the book, and we'll just get right into it. So uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke says, In my former book, Theophilus, so in his former book, his former book was Luke. That's what he's referring to, the Gospel of Luke. That's first volume. In my former book, Theophilus, so he's writing this to Theophilus. And I I won't stop at every single word, okay, but I'm going to just get a little bit of explanation. Theophilus, we don't know exactly who Theophilus is, but both Luke and and Acts were addressed to Theophilus. Some people believe that he may have been a Roman, you know, honor, uh, honorary kind of guy. Some people believe that he may have been um, a, a, a Jewish rabbi uh, of high esteem. 
Other people think it may just be a title that Luke was using because the word theo means God and philia means love. So it could mean lover of God or friend of God. So it could be addressed to anyone who loves God. But anyway, we don't know. But it says, in my former book, Theophilus, um, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. So he's talking about in Luke, I described everything that Jesus did up to the point where he went to, you know, into heaven. And then he says, on one occasion, at the, after Jesus rose from the dead, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, his apostles, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, Jesus is saying to his disciples, John baptized with water, but in a few days, Jesus says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this is what he says to his disciples. Now, if I'm a disciple and he says that to me, my first question is, what's the Holy Spirit? What are you talking about? This sounds intense. I'm not sure I want to get into this. Where are we going with this, right? Um, But that is not what his disciples say. His disciples are still fixated on, you know, the earthly kingdom that they believe he came to found. So they say, verse 6, the disciples gathered around him, and they asked him, they said, Lord, totally ignoring what he just said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you, are you going to throw the Romans out and put us in place? Are we going to get to wear, you know, armor and carry spears and ride horses and do, you know, and, and take over Israel? Jesus said to them, It's none of your business, essentially. He said, stop meddling around in the stuff that doesn't pertain to you. Okay, he said, "Um, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So he's saying, look, guys, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about something bigger. And I want to stop just for a minute and say, most of the time when you and I are asking things of God, we are not asking things of God that are too great or too big. We are asking things of God that are too small. We are asking things of God that are finite, and God wants us to be involved in the infinite plan that he has for us on the, in the world. Okay? We, are some, we, we make the mistake of, of asking for just material things. God wants to get us involved in the majesty of his presence here on the earth. So I, I just, I'm just throwing that in as a little, as a little piece that, that I think as a church and as individuals, we need to expand our minds, expand our hearts, and think about what God might really have for us that's bigger than just the little world that we have carved out for ourselves. Amen? Amen. Just, uh, that was free, just throwing that in there. Um, Verse 8, so Jesus says, okay, now back to what I was saying. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said, you will receive power, and you will then be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to all the ends of the of the earth. Now, the disciples didn't have the good sense to ask what or who the Holy Spirit was, but we do because we're way smarter than them. So we're, we're, we're going to ask what or who is the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, John Ortberg, and you guys have heard me reference him before, he is a pastor at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. He's an awesome preacher, great guy, writes great books. Um, and he tells this story 
about how he was at a convention down in California, down in Los Angeles, and he was somewhere maybe out in Pasadena or somewhere, and, and he's at this conference, and this was back in the day of daytimers. Do you guys remember those? Anybody remember daytimers? Like, yeah, some folks do. Uh, daytimers were these leather-bound books that had a zipper, and on the inside you had your calendar, you had your notes, you had everything you could possibly need, and they were basically what our, our, our iPhones are, do now. So um, anyway, so he was getting ready to go across town in L.A. He had to go somewhere else, and he put his daytimer on the roof of his car. Uh, have you ever done that? I do that. Um, he put the daytimer on the roof of his car, gets in the car, takes off driving. But then he's like, okay, I need to get the directions to where I'm going. Let me grab my day. And it wasn't there. So he remembers, oh, man, I left my day timer on the roof of the car. So he turns around, and he's going back to the place where he started, to the parking lot, to try to find his day timer. It's not there. Then he, you know, he kind of drives around. He goes back onto the surface road along Highway 210. And he sees, like, a couple pieces of paper from his day timer, so he pulls over, he's picking up these little scraps of paper from his day timer, you know, they're of no use, or whatever. So then suddenly, out of nowhere, this woman comes driving around the corner, and she's driving towards John Ortberg, and she's waving his day timer around, out of the window of her car, all right? And so she pulls over, and she says to John Ortberg, she says, is this your day timer? And John Ortberg says, yes, it is. And the woman says, well, I was just driving down the road, and I saw this day timer, and I picked it up, and then I was going up to Colorado Boulevard, and she says, and I was driving to Colorado Boulevard, and she says, and the Holy Spirit told me to turn around and drive this way because I have your day timer. And John Ortberg, you know, he's a Presbyterian, so he's like, oh, okay. (laughs) And um, she says, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And he says, believe in him. Lady, I work for him. And, uh, <laughs> and so she gives him the day timer. So uh, some of you have been around the faith long enough to know that when people start to talk about the Holy Spirit or preach about the Holy Spirit, it can make folks nervous. And the reason is, is because the Holy Spirit, things have been imputed to the Holy Spirit over time in history that are not necessarily of the Holy Spirit. And so... So sometimes people think of the Holy Spirit as like that half-cocked third cousin that comes along with the Father and the Son, and you don't quite know where he's going or what he's going to do or who he's going to offend. He's just going to screw things up. And so you're like, would you mind to just stay out in the car, and we'll just have an orderly time here, right? Um, And in fact, I've had experiences in my own life. When I was a kid, I remember going to a church one time, and I don't remember where this church was, but... um, this church had wall had a floor, and where the floor met the wall, it wasn't a 90-degree angle. It was sort of like a ramp, kind of almost like a skate ramp kind of vibe. And I remember as a little kid, I was in this church, and the music was going. And people were getting, like, kind of worked up and kind of excited. There was a lot of emotion flowing. And suddenly, people came out of their seats and ran towards the wall and ran up the wall. I'm talking about climbing the walls in church. Ran up the wall, turned around, came running down the wall. Okay, And they believed that that was an expression of the Holy Spirit. Now, I was just a little kid, but I felt fairly confident that that was not necessarily where the Holy Spirit was going. I'm, you know, not knocking that, pers- that particular expression, but, but, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is, 
there's no disorder, okay, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Uh, it doesn't create disorder. On the contrary, the Holy Spirit creates clarity and peace and strength and understanding. Um, and so if, if there's an expression that is chaotic and disorderly and disruptive, that's not of the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, just so you know. Uh, I had one more, and I'll just tell you one more. I had a buddy who was always trying to, you know, hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and talk to people about what, you know, the Holy Spirit. And so he was always listening and trying to think, you know, was that just my voice or was the Holy Spirit speaking to me? And one day we were at the library, and I'm sitting with this guy, and I'm studying, just minding my own business, and my buddy's sitting right here doing his studying, and another guy sits down across from us, and we don't know him, and we're all sitting there studying, <laughs> and my buddy looks up at him, and I look over, and I could see the look in his eye where he's thinking he's got a word from the Holy Spirit. And so he turns to the guy across the table, and he says, how's your mother? And the guy's like, uh, my mother's fine, thanks, and like closes his book and leaves. And I'm like, bro, you got to rein in, <laughs> rein it in. Um, the Holy Spirit brings clarity, understanding, strength, comfort. Most importantly, the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything that doesn't bring glory to Jesus Christ. So if something is not glorifying Jesus or if something is confusing or chaotic or cluttered, that's not the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is here to bring peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, patience. In other words, the Holy Spirit is here to bring the fruit of the Spirit into your life. Okay, that's what the Holy Spirit is all about. Good? Okay, I'm going to give you a working, um, a, a, a working definition that we're going to use throughout this series of the Holy Spirit. And here it is. The Holy Spirit is the all-powerful, deeply personal, highly active, and profoundly creative expression of the triune God at work in the lives of those who follow Jesus. Okay? Deeply personal, all-powerful, highly active, profoundly creative expression of the triune God. The Holy Spirit is not some scary specter ghost that just haunts the fringe of the Christian faith. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is, is like the living waters that flows out of the very core of people who believe in Jesus. So, so the strength that you experience as a Christian... The power that you experience as a Christian to do the things that God has called you to do, that is the power that is, that is in you by the Holy Spirit. Um, and we see throughout Scripture this sort of active, dynamic, moving force. Whenever the Holy, Scripture is de- uh, the Holy Spirit is described in the Scripture, there's always action verbs around the Holy Spirit. So l- let me give you just an example. The first time we hear of the Spirit of the Lord or the Holy Spirit in, in the Bible is in Genesis, first chapter, second sentence, first book of the Bible, and it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and here's the point to, to focus on. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the waters. And the Spirit in this, and that, that, the, the verb hovering in that passage is, is, is a Hebrew word that actually means move, like movement. It's fluttering or brooding or hovering or shaking or shimmering. And the only other time those verb, that verb is used in any part of the Scripture is in one point in Deuteronomy when they're describing the Lord. 
I told you we we're going to do some heavy lifting. Are you guys tracking with me right now? Okay. This all comes together in a very clear, powerful, expressive way, okay? But we got we to gotta do some heavy lifting. So um, the only other time it's used twice, one is when the Scripture is describing the Lord as an eagle that's hovering over its brood, okay? And it's, and it's like flapping and, and being protected. And the other time is when... Um, some false prophets had said some bad things, and so the Lord was speaking against them, and they were so scared that their, their bones were shaking. It says, you know, they were shimmering and shaking. So there's always this motion, this movement, this dynamism, and, this, and the Genesis image is that the Spirit is hovering over the darkness, hovering over the water, and out of this creative movement, life explodes. Life comes into the world. The Holy Spirit is intimately involved in this creative expression that we know as the world and the universe. Um, So that's the first image that we see. And the rabbis, the early rabbis in the Talmud would read this passage and they would elaborate on it. And and, uh, what they said of it was was fascinating. One thing that they said is that um, uh, the Spirit of God, they would comment on it, was brooding over the water like a dove which broods over her young. Interesting that they use that phrase, like a dove, okay? And another um, commentator said the same thing. The throne of divine glory was hovering over the face of the waters, even as a dove hovers over its nest. Does this image of a dove hovering over water remind you of anything, right? When Jesus was baptized in Luke chapter 3, it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. You see, what the Bible is saying here, it's drawing a direct comparison, a direct analogy between the creation of the world and the recreation, the new creation of the world through Jesus Christ. So there's... there's creation, and then there's complete redemption, restoration, rebuilding, starting over. What that means is that Jesus Christ makes everything new in your life, in my life. When we come to Jesus, when we bury our old life with him, we start new. It's a new creation. There's redemption. There's restoration. Everything changes with Jesus. That's what the Bible writers are trying to say. Can you you track with that? Jesus is saying, hey, I'm changing everything. There was Adam. There was sin. Darkness came into the world. The Holy Spirit is now starting over in the world. And you and I are invited to participate. And then each time in the, in the book of Luke, from that point on, anytime Jesus did anything or said anything or went anywhere, he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me give you an example. In Luke 4, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness he returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news spread about him through the whole countryside the first words that Jesus ever preached and when he launched his public ministry he got up in front of the synagogue he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and he said the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, bind up the brokenhearted, comfort the afflicted, all of that. And he preached about how the Spirit had infused him and imbued him with power to do what God has called him to do. So everything that Jesus did, he did by the power of the Spirit. Okay? And Jesus wasn't weird. So the Spirit isn't weird. Okay? Jesus wasn't running up walls. I mean, he could have. 
but he, I don't think he did. I never read that piece. Um, but, but I say all that to say that God wants to imbue you with the power that was, that, that was in Jesus Christ, right? So that you can do the things that God has called you to do according to his purpose, according to his plan. Amen? All right, track with me. What does the Holy Spirit have to do with me? Now, this is the third question, and this is the one that matters to folks, right? We want to know, where does the rubber meet the road on all of this? How does any of this have to do with me? I have a preacher friend who loves, this could probably be almost any preacher, loves to talk about himself. No, no, that's not right. But he loves to talk about everything that's going on in his world, in his you know, in his church, this number of people were baptized, this many people are coming, you know, and, and he loves that, you know, and, and I get that, I do too. Um, but he, he loves that. But then at the end of the, his, his monologue, which will last, you know, a couple, couple hours, uh, depending on how much coffee is involved, he will say, all right, man, listen, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? <laughs> and um, he just loves to know, you know, h- how it applies to him. So, this is, this is what we want to say about how the Holy Spirit applies to us. Um, and you can write this down because this is, this is sort of the theme that will, that will permeate the whole next seven, six or seven sermons. The Holy Spirit gives you power. The Holy Spirit gives you power to fulfill your purpose, to fulfill your purpose according to God's plan for your life. So you can write down power, purpose, plan. The Holy Spirit gives you power to fulfill your purpose according to God's plan. All right? And this leads us back to what Jesus said in the final days before he ascended into heaven. He was with his disciples, and he said, you will receive power. You'll receive power. That's the power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, why? Here's the purpose for your power. So that you can be my witnesses. This is why I'm empowering you. Not just so that you'll be powerful. But I'm empowering you for a specific purpose. The purpose is so that you can be my witnesses. And how are we going to do that? What's the plan? Well, we're going to start right here in Jerusalem where we're at. We're going to start small. We're going to start right here. We're going to start local. And then we're going to expand to Samaria and Judea. And then we're going to go all the way out to the uttermost parts of the earth. You got that? I'm going to give you power. What's the purpose? So you can be my witnesses, right? What's the plan? We're going to start here, and we're going to expand and go global, okay? So let me just break this out for you. Uh, Number one, the Holy Spirit gives you power. Let me give you a visual on that, okay? We have in my house, if you come over to my house, in my office, I have a pull-up bar. Now, this pull-up bar is very useful for hanging clothes and umbrellas and stuff like that. Um, And it's not one of these removable pull-up bars. This is old school. It is drilled into the walls of my office. And, you know, every once in a while, I'll actually do pull-ups on it. And, and my boys like, before I do pull-ups, my boys like to guess how many I can do. And Lincoln always, you know, hedges his bets. He's like, Dad, you can do one. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you, Lincoln. I appreciate that vote of confidence. Jameson, on the other hand, I think he thinks more highly of his father than his father is, you know, really is. And so he'll, he'll sort of exaggerate and get up in the, in the you know, double digits. Um, so anyway, I'll knock out my pull-ups, and then my boys want to take a shot at it. Well, you've seen my boys. One's five and one's three. 
And they're tough for little, you know, little guys, but they're little guys. Their arms are about this big around. Lincoln's is a little bigger, actually. But anyway, they can't do a pull-up on their own, but they want to do a pull-up. So Jameson will say, I can do 10 pull-ups, Dad. So I say, okay, let's do this. So I will pick him up, and I'll put him on the bar, all right? And he will start to strain and pull. And I can see that he is not going to get his chin up to the bar. So I put my hands around his rib cage, and as he's straining and pulling, I'm going to lift him up, and I'm going to bring him back down. And then he's going to go for number two, and I'm going to lift him up, and, I'm gonna bring, and we're going to go all the way to ten. <laughs> so daddy's getting a workout too. Uh, that's the picture of the Holy Spirit in your life. You, the things that God wants you to do, you cannot do on your own. But God is right there with you, pay, taking you up, bringing you down, taking you up to fulfill the purpose that he's called you to according to his plan. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we think of the Holy Spirit, don't think of something crazy and spooky and weird. Think of an image of God picking you up and taking you places where you couldn't go on your own. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the power. Um, N.T. Wright says, and I love N.T. Wright, he says, those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. They're, they're right there. They're the, they're, the fa- they're the Father and the Son, you know, and the power that the Holy Spirit brings. Um, the power, then, is to fulfill your purpose, right? And the purpose that we said was that you would be my witnesses. And the greatest mistake I believe that Christians make is that we fall into the trap of believing that our life is an accident. I I believe that's one of the profoundest mistakes that Christians can make. To believe that your life does not have meaning. That it is merely an accident. And, And we have to be careful to guard against that because that sort of permeates the culture, right? I mean, I remember all through college believing that. And I remember all, you know, years after college, just sort of thinking, by the accident of my birth, this, that, and the other thing, right? That is not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture does not say you, were, you randomly appeared, okay? The Scripture says that before you were even born, God knew you, all right? You are not an accident. You are here on purpose. There is a purpose for your life, um, and, and, and the purpose, then, is to be my witnesses, he says. To be my witnesses. What does that mean? That means in everything you do, everything you say, everything you think, you demonstrate to the world who Jesus is in your life. You're a witness. The only way you can do that is to know him. Right? doesn't mean you have to be a profound orator. You don't have to be a theologian. But you need to know God in order to be able to be his witness. When I, was a pra- when I was practicing law and I would examine witnesses on the stand, there was a huge difference between a good witness and a bad witness. And the difference was the degree to which the witness could describe the events that were meant to be described on the stand or the objects or the place, right? How well could they articulate what really was happening? We don't have to be you know, we don't have to be extremely articulate, but we have to be able to lead lives that express, express who God is in our life, right? That means we have to love people that we wouldn't otherwise love. We have to be able to serve people that, we wouldn't, that can't serve us back. 
We want to be able to encourage people who need encouragement, people that we would just normally walk by, right? That's how we show. That's how we demonstrate. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. So how we love each other, how we interact with one another. This is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. This is how we fulfill our purpose. Okay? Good. Uh, Steve Childers says, God loves to pour out his spirit with power on those who will dare to align radically their purposes with his. Let your purposes align with God's purposes. In fact, forget your purposes. Go for God's purposes in your life because they're bigger, they're greater, they're more powerful than your own. Um, And here's the final point. Your purpose is fulfilled when you execute his plan. The other day I was pulling out a, a parking garage and I can't remember some establishment. I'm pulling out of this parking garage and they have this sign on the wall and it says, you never, you never plan to fail. You just fail to plan. And I thought, thanks for that word of encouragement today. Um, that was really nice. Uh, but, but there's a point to it, right? We, if we don't follow a plan, if we don't have a plan, then it's really, really hard to accomplish what God has for us. And that, and Jesus lays out that plan. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start here. We're going to start locally, and then we're going to go regional, and then we're going to go global. How does this relate to you? I'm going to do a, a quick little image for you. One is we're going to start right local. Go ahead and put that. We're going to start right here. On a personal level, that means we're going to let the Holy Spirit transform our own personal hearts, our own minds, what's going on internally through prayer, through scripture, through getting to know the Lord, through getting to uh, reading his word and getting to understand him and soaking in his presence and getting to know him intimately. That's how we allow him to change us internally. This is the Jerusalem, okay, by metaphor. All right. And then he says, go out into Judea and Samaria. We're going to go regional. Now, this is how we, how do we interact with our wife? How do we interact with our husband? How do we interact with our colleagues? How do we interact with our peers at school? How, how, do, we, how do we interact on the job? How, what are we doing in our community? How are we showing our community the love of Christ? Right? That's, that's what this piece is. That's how that relates to you personally. And then the third part is we're going to go global. In the uttermost parts of the earth, he says. Uh, and, and this is where, you know, the Holy Spirit allowed his presence to start to permeate all of the world. I mean, within, literally within just, you know, years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel had spread from this little group of people in Jerusalem. It was in Africa. It was in Rome. It was all over the known world at that time. It just immediately exploded. That's what I believe God wants to do in your life. He wants to transform you from the inside out and expand your reach all around the world. As a church, that's what he's doing with us and through us. We're here. We're in our local community. We're bringing the gospel. And yet, you know, now we're starting to support church planters. We're starting to support world missions. We're we're starting to expand our reach. And it's not our reach. It's the reach of the Holy Spirit through us. That's what he's calling each and every one of us to do. He's calling us to be bigger than ourselves, to be bigger than anything that we can do on our own. He's calling us to change the world. Each and every one of us, he's calling us to do that. And I'm going to close with this. Uh, Al, if you want to come help me. Um, we're going to, I'm going to read you the last, the last piece um, that happened after Jesus made this declaration to the believers. He said, um, in, in verse 9, it says, After he said this, He was taken up before their very eyes. 
and a cloud hid them from their sight, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as they were going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And the men said this. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, the men were saying, hey, guys, don't stand around stargazing. Jesus has left. His spirit is coming to dwell within you. You've got work to do. You've got stuff to do. You've got power that he's going to imbue you with. You've got a purpose that he wants you to execute. You've got a plan that he wants you to fulfill. So let's get back to, let's get back to Jerusalem and let's get to work. And I think that's what he's calling each and every one of us to do. Not to be stargazers, not to be so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. You ever heard that? You know, where we where we're, where we're roll up our sleeves and, we're, and we're, we're living out the gospel right here in our homes, in our schools, in our communities, in our world. That's what he's calling you to. That's what he's calling me to. That's the power, the purpose, and the plan for your life. And for the next six weeks, man, we're going to drill down into the jailbreaks and into, you know, the snake bites and into the mass conversions and the baptisms and the outpouring of the Spirit and all that. And it's going to be awesome. But let's keep in mind what it's all about. It's all about about bringing glory to Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's all stand together. I I honestly believe that God has things for you that are beyond your imagination. I believe he has things for this church that is that are beyond any of our imagination. And I believe that God wants to use each and every one of you to bring glory to himself in the world. And I'm excited to participate in that with you. Are you excited about that? Is anybody else excited, man? Maybe I'm still excited about the baptism, but come on. Let's all bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly today and we ask that you just, you do something supernatural in our lives. Do something in our hearts and in our minds that we cannot do on our own. Bring us a a depth of power and strength and love and humility and grace and peace that's beyond anything that we've ever experienced before. Help us to read your your word interactively. Help us to read your word with the expectation that you're actually involved in our life. That you want something greater for us than we even want for ourselves. Father, give us that expectation. Open our hearts. Break open our minds today. Let us see things that we've never seen before. Let us go places that we've never been before. Take us higher than we've ever been that we may bring glory to you to everyone we meet. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.